Welcome to A Shower of Roses. I'm Jenna, your host. On this podcast, we read together the readings for the upcoming Sunday Mass in the Roman Catholic Church, so that when you walk into Mass on Sunday, you feel enlightened and empowered with the knowledge of the Gospel that you need to have a meaningful and personal experience with Christ every week. I'm Catholic, but you certainly don't have to be to listen to this podcast. The Gospel is for anyone, anywhere, at any state of life. We're so glad you're here. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. How are you? Hope you're doing well. Thanks so much for uh, for tuning in this week. I'm so glad to have you with us. Today we're going to be reading the readings for May 24th, 2020, which is the seventh Sunday of Easter during year A of the Roman Catholic Church. Our first reading this week is from Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. After Jesus had been taken up to heaven, the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they entered the city, they went to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these devoted themselves with one accord to prayer, together with some women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So this reading takes place right after the Ascension, which, uh, you know, we celebrated last, last Thursday or this Thursday, depending on when you're listening to this, the 21st. Um, and so this is what happens directly afterwards, Acts chapter one. Um, and so just imagine the, you know, they, these guys have seen it all. They've seen Jesus go through his passion and death, and then he came back to them and now he ascends into heaven. And this is really special because, um, first of all, they didn't get to witness the resurrection. No one's actually, no one actually saw Jesus resurrect. You know, all they saw was the empty tomb afterwards, which is still obviously amazing, but no one has seen what that process is like. And so for them to witness this incredible event of Jesus being lifted up and taken away into heaven, I can't even imagine what must be going through their minds. So that's one thing. The other thing is that this event um, is kind of uh, prefigured, I guess, uh, or hinted at in the Transfiguration, um, where Jesus takes just a few of the apostles up a mountain and he is lifted up before them and transfigured and um, just kind of shines brightly. And then, But then he's brought back down to earth. And so that's a standalone event that's obviously amazing um, and kind of hints at the ascension. So those guys that were there for that, um, you know, they must have been, when this event happens, when the ascension happens, perhaps they make that connect, that connection that, um, oh yeah, remember that time Jesus, you know, was transfigured before us. That was kind of a foretaste of what has just happened right now. So um, they go back to Jerusalem and they go back to that upper room where they were staying, which is the same room that, um, that Jesus appears to them at after his resurrection. And they're there with, um, the women. So probably Mary Magdalene 
um, and also Mary, the mother of Jesus. And what is their first reaction? It says, all these devoted themselves with one accord to prayer. That is their first reaction after witnessing this incredible event of Jesus ascending into heaven forever, you know, uh, until the end of time. And their first reaction is to pray. And so how beautiful is that, that, you know, in this kind of shocking event where they can't probably even process it, their first reaction is to turn to prayer and just kind of pour themselves out in that way and say, God, like, I don't even know what I just witnessed, but, but, you know, I'm going to pray and, and, and have that conversation and communicate with you anyway. Uh, just one more thing I'd love, I'd love to mention here. Um, the last verse says, um, all these devoted themselves with one accord to prayer together with some women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Um, sometimes people will use this verse as a way to, um, prove that Mary, um, was not a perpetual virgin and that she had other children. Um, which is not the Catholic Church's teaching, right? The Catholic Church teaches that Mary and Joseph had a chaste relationship and that um, Mary was a perpetual virgin uh, before, during, and after Jesus' birth. And so sometimes people read this phrase, Jesus' brothers in Scripture, and say, well, look at that. Mary clearly had other children. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, the original word actually meant brethren, not and that word does, did not mean my blood brother. It could mean um, extended family, you know, someone that is related to me, my brethren. It could also mean um, someone that is like a brother to me. So this word, you know, his brothers, let's not take that completely uh, literally because, again, the original word of the text did not mean my blood brother. It could mean an extended family member. Okay, so there's that. Uh, and yeah, that's our first reading. The second reading this week is from the first letter of Peter, chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. Beloved, rejoice to the extent that you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that when his glory is revealed, you may also rejoice exultantly. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let no one among you be made to suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as an intriguer. But whoever is made to suffer as a Christian should not be ashamed, but glorify God because of the name. When I was reading this, I was instantly reminded of the Beatitudes, and I think St. Peter's probably pulling from that a little bit, that if you are insulted for the name of Christ, blessed are you. You know, he's pretty much quoting Jesus there from his Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it's just this beautiful idea that, you know, as Christians, especially, you know, St. Peter, and in the early church, uh, they were going through a lot of persecution for being Christians, and that's why Peter is, is martyred and murdered um, and crucified because of his Christianity. So he is no stranger to suffering, and yet he says that um, 
we should actually not just tolerate our suffering, but rejoice. Rejoice to the extent that you share in the sufferings of Christ. So it's this idea that, um, that our suffering on earth can in some way, even a small way, unite us to the sufferings of Christ on the cross. And that's something that's very consoling to me um, and hopefully to all of us during these times of, you know, coronavirus and social distancing and everything. Um, you know, so much of the future is unknown. And yet I'm so comforted in knowing that um, this kind of internal suffering that we're going through right now has the ability to unite me closer to Jesus on the cross. And if that can happen, um, you know, as a result of hardship, then that's, you know, that's okay with me. Um, and so, you know, Peter says it's, it's, you know, rejoice in that you might suffer as, as Christ did, but suffer righteously, right? Let no one among you be made to suffer as a murderer, a thief, evildoer. Don't just suffer for the sake of suffering, you know, don't go out and commit a crime so that you can say that you suffered. Um, you're only to suffer as a Christian, you know, because of your Christianity and that there's no shame in that, right? The last verse says, whoever's made to suffer as a Christian should not be ashamed, but glorify God because of the name, because of the name of Christianity. Um, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in being labeled, you know, as a Christian in the name of Christ. The gospel this week is from John chapter 17, verses 1 to 11a. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Give glory to your Son, so that your Son may glorify you, just as you gave him authority over all people, so that your Son may give eternal life to all you gave him. Now this is eternal life, that they should know you, the only true God, and the one whom you sent, Jesus Christ. I glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work that you gave me to do. Now glorify me, Father, with you, with the glory that I had with you before the world began. I revealed your name to those whom you gave me out of the world. They belong to you, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you gave me is from you, because the words you gave to me I have given to them. And they accepted them and truly understood that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for the ones you have given me, because they are yours, and everything of mine is yours, and everything of yours is mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I will no longer be in the world, but they are in the world while I am coming to you. Okay, so the last few weeks during this Easter season, we've been reading um, the, uh, the, the gospel for every week has been um, the Last Supper discourse of Jesus from the Gospel of John, and it's, a, it's about three chapters of Jesus giving this big, long sermon at the Last Supper, and this only really happens in the Gospel of John. And in it, you'll find several teachings that you would have found in other places in the other three Gospels. John has them all 
kind of happening at the Last Supper, which is beautiful in a way because it's it's kind of like Jesus's last chance to tell the apostles everything they need before things start, you know, going down and getting real with the passion. In this reading, we hear a lot of language that sounds very repetitive. And this is kind of John's writing style, is that he really wants to emphasize the consubstantial relationship between Jesus and the Father. And he says over and over again, the Father and I are one, I am one with the Father, the Father is one with me. And so that does, you know, that stands in this gospel as well. You know, give glory to your sons that I may give glory to you. If they know me, then they know you. Glorify me so that I can glorify you. Um, the words that you gave me are from you, and I give them the words. So Jesus also in his reading, in this reading presents himself, you know, not just consubstantial with God, but the, the one and only mediator, right? Kind of like the go-between between us and God the Father. So again, now they know that everything you gave me is from you because the word you have given to me, I have given to them. So Jesus has come, you know, John presents Jesus as the one who has come to, to give us this knowledge that God the Father has for us. Um, and I hope that makes sense. This is kind of the pinnacle of, of the Last Supper discourse. Um, this is when it starts kind of winding down. Um... What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So in the second half of this reading, a line that really stuck out to me as I was preparing for this was, uh, I do not pray for the world, but for the ones you have given me. I think I, what really struck me is that Jesus says, I do not pray for the world. And I was really contemplating, well, why not? Why would Jesus not pray for for the world like that seems that seems strange um and then I was realizing that you know for Jesus um he's kind of already thinking ahead to what's to come um and Although he's still, this is what the footnotes say, although still in the world, Jesus looks on his earthly ministry as a thing of the past. So in other words, he has done all he could do and can do during his time on earth. And so now it's time for him to leave the earthly life behind, the earthly ministry behind to these guys, to these apostles that are going to be, you know, his priests and his bishops. So by saying, I don't, I'm done praying for the world, he's saying, that's my, this time has passed for me. I'm handing it over to them now. And now who am I going to pray for? I'm going to pray for the ones you have given me, you know, my, my followers, my disciples, my apostles, because now it is up to them to take on this job of praying for the world, of ministering to the people, of doing all these things that I tried to teach them how to do on earth. So that's what I kind of make of, of that verse. And again, Jesus just emphasizing that it's time for him to leave this earthly world behind. And so it's interesting that we read the Last Supper during the Easter season because the Last Supper is something that happened, obviously, before Easter. And yet I connect this gospel so much to the first reading because um, I just think, you know, while while the apostles were sitting and listening to this sermon, uh, you know, this Last Supper discourse, did they have any idea what was going to happen 
you know, and then jump back to the first reading, which happens way after the gospel. Did they have any idea what was coming? Uh, probably not. Definitely not. Um, you know, who can imagine their best friend dying, rising from the dead, and then being taken up into heaven? Uh, it's just so wild to think about. So I think this Sunday is really about us contemplating the life of an apostle. Um, and and think about, you know, like, what does it really mean to take on that title? And what does it mean for Jesus to say to us, you know, he prays for us because now the job is ours, right? Jesus is not physically on this earth with us anymore. And obviously we're going to see that come to fruition next week at, at Pentecost, you know, that, that Jesus will give them all they need in that reading to, to carry out his mission. And so that Holy Spirit that's given to them at Pentecost lives within each of us as well. And so I think my challenge for you for this week is to really contemplate, like, what does it mean for you to be an apostle? What is Jesus calling you to do as an apostle? And to know that, that Jesus has endowed you with a specific mission and a specific purpose in this life and identity. And to just maybe discern, you know, what that is for you. That is my challenge for you this week, friends. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Please be sure to subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. And it would be awesome if you could give us a good rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Those ratings help us get this message of the gospel out to as many people as possible. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at A Shower of Roses and like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash A Shower of Roses podcast. You can also check out ashowerofrosespodcast.com for more information about the show or to send us an email or feedback. We'll see you back here next Wednesday. God bless you and have a great week.